0: This is Dennis McLeavy and I am at CFA Institute interviewing Rich Demong, a professor of finance at the University of Virginia. This is the second in a series of webcasts on market risk and the subprime fallout. Rich, today uh, we'd like to dis- discuss the idea of moral hazard and its role in excess liquidity. I wonder if you could give us a little background on the concept of moral hazard as it developed in the economics literature.
1: Sure, and that's a great question because it's very timely because we're now, a lot of folks are looking at the moral hazard. Moral hazard is a term defined by the economist Kenneth Arrow, and and what he described is the fact that people's behavior is changed if they don't think there's a risk, and, and the way I like to think about it is... Moral hazard can cause intelligent folks to go astray. Um, And and you see it in the subprimes. If I have no risk as a mortgage broker, then I can make a loan to somebody that can't pay back the loan. Um, And so, in effect, I'm acting differently than I would if I had some risk, if I had a suitability requirement that the loan had to be suitable for the borrower. And you, saw, you, you see moral hazard at almost every stage of the mortgage market, from the mortgage broker who gets a fee just for setting up the loan, the lender who gets a fee with the intent of selling the loans, to the investment bank that gets a fee both for lending money to the lender, to the underwriter, as well as for putting the, together the, the loans, all the way to the investors who said, well, i'm going to rely on the rating agencies and 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 if they're slightly wrong it's no big deal cuz i'm going to sell this loan before it matures so i'm going to sell it before i have any problems and so moral hazard is is changed behavior because you don't have a risk and you see it at all levels and one of the fears today is as as you try to help the mortgage borrower as you try to help the mortgage lenders, and you try to, to, to you know, the central bank is concerned about the, the uh, security of the financial institutions, are they leading to future changed behavior? Are they leading saying, well, if you take a risk, don't worry about it, the central bank will bail you out. So is this the Greenspan put and now the
0: Bernanke put?
1: absolutely and 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 so is the market going to learn a lesson as the are the various participants going to learn a lesson if they don't have a risk if if they're bailed out you're seeing though in reality real pain at the homeowners that uh, are having their loans defaulted and the houses foreclosed you're seeing some real impact on Especially the investment banks uh, that are losing reputation, uh, uh, laying off CEOs, and, and so you are seeing some um, pain. But but the question is, will they learn their lesson? And and if we bail them out, the answer is no. And and you talked about the question of liquidity. That probably led to the change behaviors in that. If you have, and which we did have, a huge amount of cash moving from Asian savers to Middle Easterns to Europeans moving into the U.S., um, you know, close to a trillion dollars a year of net foreign investments in the U.S., the liquidity was there and so I can make a loan and not worry about it because I'm going to sell it to a foreigner. And, and so I don't have a risk because it's somebody else is going to own the paper. And so the liquidity probably was or was the fundamental uh, uh, factor that affected the perception that we didn't have a risk that and lenders did not have a risk and so they can lend to anybody.
0: You raise a very interesting point about lessons learned. From a central bank point of view, what kind of lessons were learned?
1: one of the reasons the central banks around the world, not just in the U.S., but you saw uh, the Bank of England being very cautious about bailing out um, one of their primary banks. And, and it was the question of how are they going to learn the lesson if we bail them out? And, and, and there's, especially in the Europeans, there was some real reluctance to step in too soon. Um, to the extent that we're now talking about it, to the extent that we now have a wider understanding of moral hazard. Uh, I think that's going to help. But but the real pain is only if people remember 2007, remember the fact that you couldn't issue any asset-backed commercial paper, almost uh, none uh, during August. Uh, the market just dried up. And, and if we can remember the pain of some of the hedge fund managers that have lost their job, Uh, because of of making uh, buying too many uh, securities that were backed up by poor uh, underlying assets.
0: Derivatives will always give me the ability to transfer risk. So does that uh, mean that we've got lots of moral hazard opportunities in the future?
1: What the ideal situation is, uh, the neat thing about derivatives, is that it does enable you to transfer risk to those who are willing to bear it so there's some real advantages for the system the question is is it taken too far do we have too many folks not doing the due diligence and and i think that's what we're seeing today and and to the extent that they've been burned once twice shy at least that's what we're hoping
0: again with our theme of lessons learned for the future could you summarize the three most important lessons that you think we've learned from all of this <laughs>
1: Well, we've learned that you shouldn't lend to somebody unless they give you some information about their income level and and and, and make sure that they're credit-worthy borrowers. I think we have learned that lesson. Uh, you saw in the spring of this year the number of subprimes drop off, subprime loans drop off dramatically. Um, and actually our peak was 2005, so we we've we started to see that behavior two years ago. Um, I think... That the rating agencies have realized that they 've got to be more cautious and less trusting of the issuers of the various derivative instruments, um, and then I think the investors um, have learned at least partially their lesson uh, because if if some of these uh, c d o s default, I lose all my investment and 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 that hurts um, uh, so you 're starting to see some lessons learned, yes.
0: Now, the second of these lessons had to do with rating agencies. Are there any conflicts there or lessons that we've learned?
1: Oh, the, the conflicts of interest are huge. The rating agencies are hired by the issuers to rate an issue that the investment banker or, or the issuers are putting together. and 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 so I want to have future business with that investment bank. And so I might... Uh, yeah, the, the the tendency might be to to give the investment bank the issuer the benefit of the doubt because I want that future business and that 's a huge conflict and and you're as a rating agencies you 're rating securities and now we have investors buying those securities based on your rating without double checking the assets without doing the due diligence. Um, and so you could fault the investors for not double-checking the invest underlying investments, but but there's a huge conflict of interest on the rating agencies. You're starting to see the European Union look at rating agencies. You're starting to hear some discussions in the U.S. and in Congress about whether we need to have um, some ability to sue the rating agencies um, if if the if the ratings of a AAA security are wildly over-optimistic, the underlying assumptions. Because remember, the rating agency is getting not only a fee from the issuer, the investment bank, but is also getting all the information about the underlying assets from the investment bank. And so you have a huge conflict of interest there.
0: Any conflicts elsewhere, for example, in the area of excess liquidity?
1: I guess the basic conflict of interest is is the fact that I can collect a fee at every level without any real risk. And and the classic, there should be some risk. If I I try to get a return, I should have some underlying risk. But uh, we've eliminated that in a lot of cases, thus leading to the moral hazard that you talked about earlier. Uh, Can you
0: comment on the trouble that hedge funds were... um or that hedge funds encountered uh, in August 2007?
1: What's fascinating is when we talk about hedge funds, we just lump everybody together. And in effect, you have some hedge funds taking some types of risk, putting together some type of investment strategies, and, and, and we just lump them together. You found hedge funds buying some of the ones that you describe that were in trouble buying paper first at 80 cents on the dollar and then 50 cents on the dollar. And so in effect, the hedge funds uh, that were coming in after the crisis were able to buy some of the paper at a very low price, and they actually helped mitigate the the, the drop uh, caused by the liquidity crisis because they brought in liquidity. And and so you're right, some were making 80, 90 percent returns in one month because they were able to buy the paper so cheaply, and then when it recovered, uh, they made a, a, a bundle while other hedge funds were just flat going out of business. Uh, and, and so you have to look at each one separately. But
0: I'm always interested in the real economy. Can you comment on the liquidity cycle and the real economy? Yeah,
1: oh, absolutely. I mean, at what point will consumers realize that they're in over their head, that they have borrowed too much? And if they do realize, at what point will they quit buying uh, the latest HDTV or the latest plasma this, plasma that. Um, that. is really the question mark, and I don't think we have an answer to that yet. Uh, but it clearly is going to have some impact. Having said that, we're still seeing funds flow into the U.S. We're still seeing the liquidity come into the U.S. Does that mean we're the only country that they, that um, Asian and Middle Eastern, uh, uh Investors trust? Well, I don't think so, but but, but they're still putting the money in the U.S. So uh, that may help us muddle through this downturn if, if we really do go into a downturn. Um, I, I, I think the signals are very mixed right now, and, and until the consumer slows down consumption, uh, I think we're going to be able to muddle through it. But we'll see.
0: Mortgage-backed securities have been around since the 1970s. They've been backed by either explicit or implicit government guarantees, and we've had no crisis in the area. Do you think that investors have been misled this time around by thinking that there's some kind of guarantee?
1: Sure, because the, the two things that you've alluded to that have changed, not only the government guarantee, but if you go back to the 70s and 80s, most folks were borrowing 80% against their house or less, and and down payments were 20% or more. Um, What we found happening in the early 21st century is folks were borrowing uh, 90%, 95% or 100% of the value of the house. And I actually saw some combined first and second mortgages where the lenders were willing to give 120% uh, the value of the house with expectation that houses will continue to go up to the forever they 'll go up to the sky uh, the prices will and and so I think there was a change in the mortgage backs, which the investors didn 't adjust for because i 'm going to get bailed out because the house prices are going to go up forever mm-hmm. well they don 't go up forever and and that 's what we 're learning in two thousand and seven, and most mm-hmm. folks are estimating that that will house prices will continue to decline in 2008 and maybe into 2009. Mm -hmm. Um, And we haven't seen that long of a period with housing prices nationwide since the Great Depression. Uh, We've seen it in local areas, but not a national-wide drop in home prices. But we'll see how that works out. Mm -hmm.
0: Thank you for joining us today for this second in a series of webcasts on market risk and the subprime fallout. In future webcasts, we'll be discussing such topics as pricing illiquid securities and hedge fund demand for the equity tranche in CDOs.
1: Copyright 2007, CFA Institute. No part may be reproduced, stored
0: in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, electronic, mechanical,
1: recording, or otherwise, without the express prior written permission of CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required the services of a competent professional should be sought.